Hello folks, welcome to episode 7 of the Strong Habits podcast, and also the end of week 5 of the programme. Gosh, you've all been doing so well over the last 5 weeks, and I am so excited for you all going into your last week. I wanted to kick off today's episode talking about why strength training is important. Lifting weights and building muscle can help with self-esteem, self-efficacy, and reduce the risk of osteoporosis. So it's a big deal. Building muscle actually takes a really long time, but what doesn't take as long is seeing those strength gains. And this is something you've all noticed over the last five weeks, as you've been reporting back the increases in your weights and as well the improvements in your form. Interestingly, Relative strength gains tend to be larger in women compared to men, at least in the short term, especially when it comes to younger women and to upper body strength. This means that you'll find yourself getting stronger quite quickly when you start, which is incredibly satisfying, and also, I think, a great motivator for you to continue along this path of strength gains. Long term, these relative rates of strength gains balance out between men and women, but women actually make larger gains relative to their starting point. So next time someone tells you that lifting weights is only for the boys, you tell them to sit down, because you were born to be strong. Now, firstly, if you want to build muscle, and also strong bones, then you need to lift weights. And it needs to be hard. A lot of women walk into the gym and grab some tiny weights and bash out 15 to 20 reps of a given exercise, stopping more out of boredom than out of muscle fatigue. You need to make it heavier. Hopefully, you have all been doing that over the last few weeks. And generally speaking, muscle growth is, in fact, similar in low load and high load training, so long as you're always going to failure. Failure just means you're going until you can't physically do another rep. But low load training is boring. And it's going to take you much longer to get enough reps in to actually stimulate growth. And actually, and this is quite interesting, one study comparing high and low load training found that women gained way more muscle following a high load, so 6 to 10 rep max protocol, compared to low load, 20 to 30 rep max protocol. This means that women actually get more out of doing sets of 6 to 10 than they get out of doing sets of 20 plus. A couple of you have asked me what happens when the six weeks is over, because we only have one week left. So I wanted to quickly talk to you about Stronger. I've created a 16-week strength training program focused on helping you get stronger week in and week out. The Stronger program is the same price as Strong Habits, but you'll pay for it monthly instead of six weekly. Well, you'll pay for it four weekly for the ease of maths. You'll get the same support you've been getting now, but we'll go over your goals next week to see if you've changed your mind on what you want to focus on, if you've hit some things already and you want to move the goalposts, and what we can do next to make sure that you're getting what you want out of the program. The idea of Stronger is to give you the chance to continue working with me for as long as you want, as well as build sustainable habits that last you the rest of your life. It has been such a joy so far watching all of you progress. Some particular highlights for me. 
Lenny getting so much joy from learning about nutrition and setting up her own little mindful space in the office, as well as stopping buying dinner from the chicken shop on the way home to eat dinner. Nadia building confidence in the gym to film her lifts and take up space and in her nutrition to know that food has no power over her. Kate starting running again and actually enjoying it. Sarah finding ways to get her steps up every day, generally moving more. The other Kate remembering that she actually loves the gym and adding in regular overhead squats to her week and taking her gym kit with her on holiday. And Caroline finding ways of getting her movement in, getting out on the streets, rolling around. Honestly, I can't wait to see what else you're all capable of. But right, let's get to the questions, or we're going to be here all day. So, firstly, Nadia asked, how do you stay motivated when progress is slow? I think one of the most important things is to keep track of what you're doing. Often, there is much more progress going on than you think. I spoke to Nadia about this already, and there have been so many huge wins over the last five weeks that she just wasn't giving herself credit for. This is why having performance-based goals is important, as well as having behaviour-based goals. Having an end goal in mind is all well and good, but maybe that end goal is still quite far away. So it still feels far away after a few weeks. But if you have behaviour-based goals, like go to the gym three times, claim space, get your steps in, hit fruit and veg count, etc. Things like this. It means that each week you can see how many times you did those things and how easy they were for you to do compared to last time. You can see how automatic they're becoming. To start with, the answer is not automatic at all. But the more you repeat the behaviours, the more automatic they become and the easier it becomes to layer habits that lead you towards that end goal. One of Nadia's goals was to gain more confidence in the gym and she's been brave enough to actually claim a squat rack to do hanging knees, to get her phone out and start filming deadlifts. These little confidence wins layer two. The more you do them, the easier it gets to do until one day the gym actually starts to feel like home. Another way to stay motivated is to have your performance-based goals. So if you aim to squat, I don't know, your body weight, or to deadlift 100 kilos, or maybe it's to do a chin-up, whatever it is you want to be able to do, having something specific and measurable that you can see improving each week becomes motivation in itself. But also, and this last bit is important, I just have to say that motivation isn't always going to be enough and it's not always going to be available. Not everybody wakes up motivated to eat vegetables and hit the gym, even fitness people. There are some days I just want to stay in bed and eat crisps. This is where discipline comes in and where those foundation habits that you've been laying come in because if you can get into the habit of doing all of these things that will lead you towards where you want to go, then on the days that you can't actually be bothered, you can still at least do some of them. And the more automatic those behaviours become, the more of them you'll manage even on your bad days. We are not machines and the world isn't always going to motivate you. But keep asking yourself what your intention is and what's important to you. And if what's important to you and what your goals are line up, it gets easier to do the things more often. Success is about more than motivation. Not just in terms of the gym and your nutrition, but in life. In whatever you want to be good at. In whoever you want to be. And whatever it is that each of us is trying to overcome in any particular moment in our lives... It's not motivation that's going to get us through it most of the time. 
this is an aside, but as someone who has always suffered with pretty bad anxiety, there have been so many times when I've really not been motivated to do anything at all. And sometimes it gets the better of me and I'll just go home and hide. But most of the time, I'll do most of the things because at some point they just become the things that you do. And because even when the world feels like it's spinning out of control, the only thing you can ever really control is your behaviour. Gosh. This has gone on a bit of a tangent. What I'm saying is, you have the power to decide what you do. Even when it doesn't feel like it. And when you're sitting there trying to decide if you should go to the gym or not, you have to ask yourself if it's a priority. And what is it that you actually want to achieve? I think the better we get at asking ourselves these questions, the easier it becomes for our choices to reflect our intentions and for our lives to reflect our values. I hope that answered your question. It was a bit of a roundabout answer. Uh, Moving on to the next one. So Lenny asked, how much water should you really drink and can you overdrink? Now this is really interesting. On my Insta story yesterday, I asked what weight loss tips people would add to my list that I'd put up, and I had multiple people suggest that you should drink more water. I don't know where this came from exactly, but it means that a lot of people really panic that they're not getting enough water. Generally, the way to know if you are getting enough is by looking at the colour of your pee when you go to the toilet. If it's a pale yellow colour, you're fine. If it's a dark brown colour, drink more water. Things like tea and squash count as part of your water intake and if you go for the sugar-free squash then it doesn't really have any calories. And they can also be good ways to help you manage your hunger if you're in a calorie deficit. Particularly like methods of just having a glass of water before your meal so then you're not going in with an empty stomach. And fun fact, this isn't going to be that fun, but you can indeed drink too much water. The first sign that you're drinking too much water is that you need to pee immediately after drinking a glass. Water overdose, also known as, now I've never actually heard anyone say this out loud, so bear with me, hyponatremia, is actually a potentially fatal problem which messes with your brain functions. It happens when the normal balance of electrolytes in your body is pushed outside of safe limits by excessive water intake. Your blood sodium levels would need to be lower than 135 MEQ slash L. So I looked up these letters because I'm obviously not a chemist. And it stands for milliequivalents per litre. So 135 milliequivalents per litre of sodium in your blood. It occurs because the intake of water exceeds the kidney's ability to eliminate water. It's super rare. I found a study talking about it, which was a case study of a nine-year-old who was abused by her stepfather. He forced her to drink two 1.8-litre bottles of water within one to two hours, and she vomited until she fell asleep. She was later admitted to hospital. It's actually a really sad story. Sorry. But the hospital staff were able to reverse the hyponatremia, and she woke up two days later. The hospital also told the child protection agency, so the stepfather wasn't allowed near her anymore, and the police removed him from the home. So it had a happy ending. 
Uh, um, sorry, that wasn't, maybe that answered your question though. So, uh, as well as child abuse victims, it also occurs in some party drug users who drink a shit ton of water and sweat out all of the salts. Symptoms include things like disorientation, confusion, nausea, and vomiting. So if you're really high, you might not even notice and just think it's the drugs that are making you feel weird. But do not panic. You are probably not drinking two, two litre bottles of water an hour. And if you are, you don't have to do that. The answer to this question all feels a bit alarmist, but I don't actually want you to worry about this. You're probably not overwatering yourself, but you also don't need to stress about how much water you're getting. Just do the pee test and adjust accordingly. Humans are actually pretty good at maintaining homeostasis in the body. So if you drink too much, you will pee more. And if you don't drink enough, you'll be thirsty. And maybe you'll also have a headache. Um, Lenny also asked, how do detoxes work and what are the pros and cons? So, detoxes don't actually detox anything. That's what your kidneys and your liver do. Um, And if your organs are not acting in the way that they are supposed to act, you need to go see a doctor immediately and not buy a detox product. So usually most detoxes work, and I'm saying work with inverted commas here, by creating a calorie deficit. So if you swap one or two or all of your meals for a juice drink with low calories, you're going to be in a calorie deficit and then you're going to lose weight. You can also create a calorie deficit though and still eat food, which is what you've been doing so far. And it's generally much more pleasant uh, and it doesn't involve you being as hungry. So, but like if you wanted to swap one of your meals for a beverage as a method for creating a calorie deficit... I would be much more inclined to suggest you go for like a whey protein shake because then at least you're getting some protein which is going to fill you up and also help you reach your protein daily target. Um, A lot of detox products contain laxatives like all of those slim tea things so they create this illusion of weight loss by flushing out all of the fluid from your body. This means you're way less when you stand on the scale but you've not actually lost any fat it's just water they can also make you shit your pants. So it's a pretty expensive way to embarrass yourself. Another downside to detoxes or juice diets is that you're missing out on a lot of nutrients by just drinking the same thing for a period of time. You risk gut issues and depending on how long this goes on for deficiencies. You also lose a lot of the fiber when you blend veg and fruit up. So it's not as filling as if you'd eaten it whole. It is also pretty boring and will make you socially quite awkward. Um, I hope that answered your question moving on uh my mum actually sent some questions for this week she is a big fan of the podcast and while i'm not actually taking questions for the podcast from people who aren't clients i thought i can probably make an exception for her you know so she says how do i change my habits of grazing to eating three meals instead and working from home i get extremely bored and if i'm not busy i find myself eating unnecessarily even if i'm not hungry So firstly, grazing isn't necessarily bad and eating three meals isn't necessarily good. But what isn't helpful is if you were eating all day and ending up in a calorie surplus. If you were to eat five meals a day, but control the portion sizes and the calorie density so that that it added up to a calorie deficit or maintenance amount of calories, then you could make it work for you. One problem is, because you work from home, you don't really move around very much, which means your daily calorie spend is going to be relatively low, which makes it harder for you to fit in as much food. 
a few things that you can do to help curb the boredom meeting. Firstly, and I'm going to keep saying this forever until everybody in the whole world starts doing it because it's the best bit of advice I think I've ever been given. Um, and it is ask yourself what your intention is. Every time you walk into the kitchen and open the fridge, ask yourself the question, what is my intention? And actually answer it, honestly. You need to remember that you have the power to make your choices. You are in control of what you do. You are the boss of you. So actively ask yourself what you are doing and what you hope to achieve. Another thing you can try is to make yourself wait for 30 minutes. So if you suddenly want to go to the kitchen for a snack because you're bored and you've not got much work to do, give yourself a 30 minute timeout. If in 30 minutes you still want it, go make yourself whatever it is. And in fact, actually, while you're taking this time out, I want you to also take yourself for a walk around the block. Because one of the reasons that you always give me for not walking very much is that you don't have time. But imagine how much time you'd have if you swapped all of your kitchen boredom snack trips, snack trips, for a walk around the block instead. That will also help you get your daily activity up and it's a win-win-win all around. Another thing you could do is try eliminating trigger foods from the house. So if there are foods that you know you can't have in the house without having to eat all of them in quite a short space of time, just don't buy it or just don't make it. Like, you don't need to be making biscuits if you know you're just going to eat all of the biscuits. Instead, what you could do is make sure that you've got fruit around. So right now, satsumas, grapes, apples, they all taste quite good um, and they're low calories and they're delicious and they're not very expensive. Eating fruit is a really good way to satisfy that desire to eat something, but for often a much lower calorie cost than whatever the alternative would have been. And because it's full of fibre, it will help you feel full, which will hopefully stop you over consuming elsewhere. Right. Hopefully that was helpful for other people too, because I'm sure lots of you eat out of boredom. Um, and this is all we've got time for this week. Good luck to all of you going into your final week of Strong Habits. If you haven't already spoken to me, let me know if you'd like to stay on for Stronger. And if you're listening to this and you're not already doing Strong Habits and you would like to, now is your chance. I'll post the sign-up link for the next intake. It starts on the 23rd of February. I'll put it in the show notes. Have a great week, folks.